Uh, we're going to be in the book of Psalms. Uh, Psalm chapter 32 is where we're going to be this morning. Uh, and as we look at this, I, I wanted to talk to you just briefly about the book of Psalms as, as we get there, um, as we look at it. And uh, we've been doing some sharing about that in the services and we'll continue to do so. Uh, but Psalms is, is such a great uh, book for us today, as Proverbs was, the practicality of life. Uh, Psalms is the, the joys, sorrows, feelings of life. And I, I think often we like to think of our, ourselves as people without feelings, uh, heartless people that can handle anything, and yet we're not. And as we look at the book of Psalms, you will see uh, problems of life. None of you have problems, right? Maybe you have big problems of life and even enemies, enemies and people that are pressing in and trying to uh, draw you away and engage you in ways that are, are not honoring to the Lord. And, and so you have uh, the problems of life, the feelings of life, the, the enemies of your life. And then uh, in the midst of the book of Psalms, you will see the character of God, uh, who he is and what he does. And I would say this too, as you see God, you see how his character answers the problems of today, the problems of today. And so uh, even as we look at Psalm 32, I want you to keep that in mind. Uh, Psalms is about life and God. Um, and it's, a, it's, a, it's interesting to me too, I always forget that the book of Psalms was like their hymnal or the song selections that they sang. And some of those would be quite um, interesting to sing because they're so personal and they're so heavy, uh, even as we look at the one today. Um, I, I want to, before we get moving, I, I want to tell you that one of the things that's characteristic, a couple of things that are characteristic uh, of uh, Americans, of people like you and me, uh, people who live in uh, the great state of California and Kern County and Tehachapi. And uh, there's something characteristic of us. And it's not just of us, but it is a human condition. But I think in some ways we are more so prone to this. I don't know why. Um, We've never been more privileged uh, in the sense of uh, the ease of life. Uh, Most of you have gone to the grocery store this week or Uh, Some of you have even, uh, because it's too difficult to go to the grocery store, you had your food delivered to your house, or you went and you sat out in the parking lot and you said, bring me my food, could you put it in my trunk for me? Um, And and it's never been so simple to do things. Uh, You think about paying bills and how that works and how simple that is and how how simple it is for you to gain... uh, uh, different kinds of information through your computers and even not just your computer, but the computer you call a phone. Uh, you can do many things. There's more privilege than we've ever had. Uh, our lives are super easy. Forgive me for being the one to tell you that. We have easy lives. Um, and as we look at these easy lives, uh, you also see uh, us, people, culture, never been more depressed and empty. Why is that? How can having so much and being able to do so much leave a generation of people, a people of a nation of prosperity, so depressed and so empty? I think it's interesting, too, that... um, you ask somebody, uh, most characteristically people that are struggling with life, depressed and empty, you ask them, why are you so depressed? Why is you know you so down? Many times the response will be, I, I don't know. I don't know. Uh, I, I can't figure it out. I, I just feel heavy and empty and lonely and, and depressed. And so what do they do? Um, I need to take some pills. There's got to be a hack or a remedy that I could change my life in some way that this will 
be put away. Maybe I've been reading a lot about EMFs lately, and maybe it's too much electronics in my home or toxic foods. Um, and, and sometimes the thing that people run to is they just say, well, I just got to be busy. I just got to be busy. I, I just got to have activity and, and, and keep my schedule full. And if I keep my schedule full and there's a lot of things in it and I feel a sense of urgency and activity, 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 maybe I won't feel so empty anymore. And, and in some ways that's true. But when the music stops, it goes right back to that time of depression, that, that emptiness that so many feel. And, and this morning, I, I just want to present to you this chapter as is. I realize that was an intro leading you in a direction. And it is a direction. I, I, I want to tell you that uh, the answer to the emptiness of your soul is not in activity. Uh, just because you're busy doesn't mean uh, you're not depressed, doesn't mean you're not empty. It's not found in some pills. Sure, pills can mask uh, things over and over again. You, you think about so many of the, the drugs that drug companies have made for depression, and, and you read the labels and uh, it, it says, you know, well, the side effects is you, you might want to kill yourself. <laughs> so, so you feel happy, but you might want to kill yourself. <laughs> and, and you think about the different ways we try to cover this. Some do it with drinking, right? Uh, the idea of, you know, deadening. And, and yet when you wake up in the morning, there's not a sense of fulfillment to that, is there? And so this morning, as we look at this, I, I want you to know that I really believe that this is a key, one of the keys. And, and this is what we've been studying with the college group, and we're going to continue to study with it, because I want them to know from God what is the key to the happy life. What is it? What is the path? What are the steps? What are the elements uh, to bring into your life now. And I want to tell you, this is true for all of us. It's not this is just the young. I think so often, maybe the, those of us who are older, we've filled our lives with these type things, hoping there would be significance. And it's all the more amplified the emptiness in the latter years. Please stand in honor of God's word. I'd like to read to you Psalm 32. Psalm 32. God's word says this, blessed is the one whose transgressions, transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. Blessed is the man, who, man against whom the Lord counts no iniquity, in whose spirit there is no deceit. Verse three, when I, uh, for when I kept silent, my bones wasted away. Uh, through my groaning all day long. For day and night your hand was heavy upon me. My strength was dried up as by the heat of summer. I acknowledged my sin uh, to you and I did not cover my iniquity. I said, I, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord and you forgave the iniquity of my sin. Therefore, let everyone who is godly offer prayer to you at a time when you may be found. Surely in the rush of great, of great waters, they shall not reach him. You're a hiding place for me, and you preserve me from trouble. You surround me with shouts of deliverance. I, I will instruct you and teach you in the way you should go. I will counsel you uh, with my eye upon you. Be not like a horse or a mule without understanding, uh, which must be curbed and, and with bit and bridle or it will stay uh, or it will not stay near you. Many are the sorrows of the wicked, but steadfast love surrounds the one who trusts in the Lord. Be glad in the Lord and rejoice, O righteous, and, and shout for joy, all you upright in heart. God, I do ask that your psalm, your word, uh, the, the message through your servant will be encouraging and um, 
fuel in the tank for your people here this morning. And I, I pray that uh, it would be a key uh, for someone here that as they've struggled for a long time, that there would be freedom in your word this morning. God, thank you for this time. Thank you for Bear Valley Church. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. So it starts out in uh, verse 1. It says, blessed, blessed. And it goes on to say again in verse 2, blessed. And in different translations, it it uses the word happy as the man. And, and I realize that we struggle with the word happy. Are you happy right now? Well, maybe, maybe not. Most of the time when we think of happy, we think of uh, uh, lightheartedness and the idea of getting what you want and uh, uh, a moment of exhilaration. That's not this word. This word blessed is the idea of having a blessed life and, and, and being a blessed man or woman. It's not, not happy like watching a comedy show where you're just uh, laughing all the time out loud and it's just so funny. It's, it's a sense of fulfillment so much so that it is a life, and, and I think this is so important, as someone would look at your life or as you look at somebody else's life, you would see it as the life to be pursued or a life that is not to be pursued. A life that you want, a life that you don't want. Uh, one of my professors, when we went over this word in seminary, he said, this is the life that is to be envied. This is the life that is to be envied. And, and that idea of envy is, is we say, oh, I wish my life were like that. The psalmist writes, he says, blessed is the man. Uh, blessed is the man. And, and, and we should be on the edge of our seats saying, so what is it about this man's life that it causes it to be envied? It's something to be wanted and pursued. What is this life that I should seek? And if you look at those first two verses, you realize that it's just the life that is forgiven. There's a simplicity to this. That's the life that's forgiven is to be envied. It says, blessed is the one whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. Blessed is the man whom the Lord counts no iniquity and whose spirit there is no deceit. As you see these words, you see three uh, different words for sin and three uh, corresponding words of forgiveness of what God can do. I think often when we think of what it is to be the happy man, and if you talk to a young person and you say, what, what is the key to a happy life? And you know, some of you are thinking about it right now. You're going, men are reciting it in their minds. Happy wife, happy life, okay? <laughs> Forgive me for saying it out loud, but I, I, I'll just say this. It means that uh, if your wife ain't happy, ain't no one happy, okay? <laughs> I'll just leave that there and move on. Um, I think so often uh, when people, each one of us would, would say, well, what is the key to a happy life? You would say, you wouldn't say it so plainly, but you'd say something like this. If I get what I want, if I get what I want, I'm going to be happy. And whatever that is that you want, if you get it, there will somehow be an end of depression, an end of emptiness. If I get what I want, then I will be happy. I want to tell you that as we look at this, I want you to keep that in mind as you look at this psalm. Because it, it, maybe it is what we want that we get. But it's not something that most people would say. It's not a car. It's not a spouse. It's not friends, it's not money, it's not anything, but it's forgiveness, forgiveness. 
you look at these words, he, he uses the word transgression, which is a word of rebellion. Um, when, when someone transgresses, they, they rebel. And obviously in the, the scripture, it's talking about rebellion against God, doing our own thing, rejecting his authority over us. The second word used for sin is sin. Uh, and this is the Hebrew word for missing the mark or, or uh, you know, God has said this and we didn't do it. The third word he uses in verse two is iniquity. Iniquity, that word meaning uh, the, the guilt that is deserving punishment. The guilt that is deserving punishment. I did this, I did this. And because of this sin crime that I've done against God, it deserves punishment. But as you look at these three words, um, he answers them, and this is the happy man, the one, the, the one that is blessed, the one that's life is um, one to be envied is what? Their transgression, their rebellion is forgiven. It's burden lifted. Uh, the, the idea of forgiven is that there's a burden on them because of what they have done, but now it is lifted. The second word corresponding to Sin is that their sin is covered. Uh, and, and the idea of covered is that, that that action that I did, that thing that I did that missed the mark is covered over, covered over. Uh, sin is embarrassing, isn't it? It's embarrassing. And the reason it's embarrassing is because it's connected to us. It shows that we haven't done what we were supposed to do. Um, I can't help but think about this. It's not in my notes. But uh, one time I was in class and uh, in seminary, and I didn't know what I was doing. And it was a class on, on grammar. And we were studying how to, um, how to diagram sentences. And so I, I did my homework, um, I, I did my best, but I knew it wasn't even close to the right answer. I just wrote it down, and I go, yeah, that's a mess. But anyways, and um, he said, uh, uh, you know, whoever wants to put their answer up on the board, and then we can go do this. And we took a break right after that. And while I was at break, uh, one of my uh, fellow students took my paper, and he wrote my diagram on the board and he wrote my name underneath it. And, and I came back in and I go, oh no. And I remember my gracious teacher goes, well, this is a good try. Um, but there was this embarrassment because uh, it was my best effort and it wasn't even close. It wasn't even close. And, and it was out there. And the, the picture here of this word is covered, is that that regretted action is concealed, never to be seen again. It's covered over. It's taken care of. The last word uh, in verse two, it says, blessed is the man against whom the Lord counts no iniquity. It's not counted. The the idea of not counted is that uh, guilty, but it's, taken care of. It's the idea of not guilty. It's been taken care of. It, it's no longer, uh, the, the verdict is innocent even though I was guilty. And this is, uh, th- this first section here, these first couple of verses, and, and Psalms d- do this very often. I think you, we get hung up sometimes thinking that Psalms are like, uh, Paul's writings or something in the New Testament, and, and it's just not. And in a psalm, many times, as with this psalm, he says, at the beginning, I want to tell you where we're going today. I want to tell you what the, the theme is this. And it's this, that blessed is the one who's right with God. Who, who sins are, are not stuck between him and God, they are forgiven. It, it says, too, in, in the end of verse 2, uh, 
also he says, in whom the spirit is no deceit. And the idea here of this deceit is most likely the idea of honest before God. It, it's the one who, who sins wherever before them, they uh, are, are treated by God as forgiven. And, and the one who is, is bringing those sins is honest before uh, his creator. Some of you notice this, but uh, in most Bibles, it says a mascal of uh, David, of David. And that word mascal, we're we're not exactly sure what that word means. Many people believe that it it is a teaching, a teaching type psalm. And even as we look at this psalm, we can connect and, and say in our mind, okay, so what is the teaching of this psalm? What, is, what are we supposed to learn? Well, what we're supposed to learn is the way of forgiveness, the way of forgiveness, and really the blessing that comes through that. And it says of David, and, and David doesn't say in this psalm, if this is from David, we think it is, we assume it is. Um, these aren't inspired, the, the titles per se. But uh, when you think of King David, uh, he has one famous sin, one famous sin. It's not that it's his only sin. Uh, he sinned like the rest of us, but there was one famous sin. And I want to look at that for a moment because I do believe that this is probably the backdrop of this psalm. In, in 2 Samuel chapter 12, verses 1 through 10, I, I want to uh, read to you this section. And, and, and I want to read to you this section. And this is most likely a year to a year and a half after the event, the sin itself. And the, the sin that, you know, is this particular interaction is talking about is the sin of, uh, of David, King David, going after, gathering to himself a woman, committing adultery with her, impregnating her, and then to cover up his sin, having her husband killed in battle. And you can read that whole story. It's very fascinating of, uh, you know, and shaming to David what happened, not just the sin itself, but the sins that covered up the sins. But in 2 Samuel, let's read this now. And the Lord sent Nathan to David. Nathan was a prophet. And he came to him and said to him, uh, there were two men in a certain city, and, and the one rich and the other poor. Uh, the rich man had many, many flocks and herds. But the poor man had nothing but a, a little ewe lamb, which he had, he, he had bought. And he, he brought it up and, and it grew up with him and, and with his children. It used to eat of his morsels and drink from his cup and lie in his arms. And it was like a daughter to him. Now there came a traveler to the rich man and he was unwilling to take one of his own flock or herd to prepare uh, for the guest who had come to him. But he took the poor man's lamb and prepared it for the man who had come to him. Then David, David's anger was greatly kindled against the man. And he said to Nathan, as the Lord lives, the man who has done this deserves to die. And he shall restore the lamb fourfold because he did this thing and because he had no pity. Nathan said to David, you are the man. Thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, I anointed you king over Israel. I delivered you out of the hand of Saul, and I gave you your master's house and your master's wives into your arms. I gave you uh, the house of Israel and Judah. And if this were too little, I would add to you as much more. As you look at this, you see um, David had gone these months and maybe years since this time of sin. And he lived in a delusion that because he was king, it was no big deal. He lived in a delusion that said, time heals all wounds, right? Just the further down the road you get, you'll be fine. 
And as he went by this, he went by this, he went, he, he said, so much so that when he heard this story, this picture that Nathan was painting for him, and it was meant to be like a story, a parable, if you will, of what his sin was. So much so that David was angered. He was saying, you know, let's stick it to this guy. Whoever this guy is, let's get him. And you can imagine the shock when Nathan said to him, you are the man. You are the man. It's interesting. It's easy for us to see the sins of others. It's easy for us to hear a story of some sinner that's not us and say, oh, how wicked they are. How could they do that? But when Nathan came to David, it was all about David's sin. It was all about what he had done. And David could not see it apart from Nathan telling him so. I want to point out something. Turn over to Philippians or Psalm 51. Um, another psalm of David, uh, a psalm that um, this one, as part of the title, does refer to this particular instance. Um, But if you look down Psalm 51, verses 3 and 4, this is a psalm where uh, David describes his uh, prayer to God asking for forgiveness. And he says in verses three and four, he says, for I know my transgression, transgression and my sin is ever before me. He felt convicted. But in verse four, he says this, against you and you only have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight so that you may be justified in your words and blameless in your judgment. I want to I say something, and it's very important for us to remember uh, Some of us, because of our sin, we're self-conscious. But we're self-conscious for the wrong reasons. Uh, You know, how many of you, I don't want to see a show of hands. Um, uh, Yeah, I'm a little brother. I'm a little brother. And um, as a little brother, I fulfilled my roles, okay? Uh, I didn't do my job sometimes. I... I was lazy, like I, I, I fulfilled the little brother role in the family. And there, there was this, this idea growing up of maybe being caught, being my mom or my dad finding out that I didn't do what I was supposed to do. And as you go to school, sometimes you go to school and you feel that same way for the teacher or the yard duty or the principal. And there's this feeling, and, and maybe as you grow older, there's this peer pressure thing where you go, oh, no, what do my friends think of me? What, what, do, they, do they think that I'm, I'm okay? And, and you're constantly doing this thing. You're living life, and then you're looking to someone. Am I okay? Am I okay? Do you approve? You, you didn't see what I just did right there, but do you approve, Right? Am I okay in your eyes? But I want to point this out. It it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter what your friends think of you. It doesn't matter what the principal thinks of you. It it doesn't matter about your teachers or, hate to say this, even your mom and dad, where you stand before them. But David knew, David knew And he wrote this down for for us in verse four. Against you, you only I have sinned and done what is evil in your sight. The problem that David had wasn't with Bathsheba, nor even with Uriah, nor even with the people of his kingdom. The thing that mattered in David's life is where did he stand with God? Where did he stand with God? What did God think of his actions? What did God think of that day where he, he looked upon Bathsheba and he called her and then he, he, he did the act and then he thought through and how am I going to deal with this? And, and, and those are the things. He, he, it wasn't about those details. It was about his God. And was he right with him? 
And so as we look at this psalm today, these first two verses kind of encapsulate, this is what we're talking about, and now he's going to give the details of his life and his path home in the verses that come after. And I, I want you to keep in your mind, happy is the one who's right with God. Happy is the one who's right with God. In verse three, you see his mess, my mess. And this would be true of all of us as we would uh, reject God, reject uh, his oversight in our life, reject his conviction in our heart. Verse three says this. He says, for when I kept silent, my bones wasted away through my groaning all day long. For day and night, your hand was heavy upon me. My strength was dried up as by the heat of summer. It's interesting. Um, I believe this passage speaks of a connection with spiritual health and physical health. Spiritual health and physical health. I had a professor in college uh, who was a counseling professor of biblical counseling. And he, he, told, he, he told us about his, his um, kind of his path of life. He was wanting to be a doctor, and, and so he, he uh, began his courses, and uh, he went to college, and in the midst of college, I believe, as he was preparing to be a doctor, he came to faith in Jesus Christ, and he said, oh, this is going to be so great. I'm going to serve the Lord as a doctor. He's, he wanted to be a, a family doctor, you know, do the thing that every family needs when a child or Someone's sick, they go to their doctor. They have their doctor. It's, his, it's their guy. And so he, he went through it, and he, um, he, as part of his medical training, he had to study psychology and counseling. And uh, he struggled with, you know, where does God fit in all that? And he got frustrated, and he says, oh, forget it. I'm just going to get my grades, and I'm going to go on to be my doctor, the doctor that I want to be. And so he did, and uh, as he got into his practice, uh, people would come one right after the other, and he would talk to them, and he, he realized that many, many, a high percentage of problems that people came in with had something to do with the emptiness of their life, the hurt, the sins that they had were struggling with, had affected their physical well-being. And so he came back to the counseling piece and he said, I'm going to study that psychology. And he realized that uh, psychology was based upon ungodly men who hated God. And so it drove him back to the scriptures that he would know. And so the rest of his days, he counseled and brought the scriptures to people who were in need I want to tell you that because as I look at this, you see in David, writer of the psalm, that when he kept silent, and it wasn't that he kept silent about anything other than his sin, he says, my bones wasted away, my groaning all day long. You, you get this picture of the hurt inside of him and that it was all day long. And then verse 4, he reiterates, for, for day and night, your hand was heavy upon me. And uh, the picture of it was like terrible during the day, and then it was terrible at night. And, and the feeling as he goes on, he says, my strength was dried up as by the summer heat. I always think in passages like this, we know what he's talking about, right? Um, you know, this is why we live in Tehachapi. Some of you have moved from the Antelope Valley or Bakersfield. You, you realize, you know, what the summer heat is like. And when we get a visual, when we, we drive out of Tehachapi, there are some barren wastelands. Why? Because it's desert. And when you think of the heat, it's always hot out there. I, I always think sometimes we don't even know how hot it is because no one wants to go out there, right? And, and that's the picture of David's life. He feels that way inside. That's the burden of his heart. And I just want to say this. 
what his mess was, was affecting his health, his life, his well-being, his days. He did not have the life that was to be envied. He was not the happy man. He was not the blessed man. Why? Because he kept silent. Because he kept silent, his bones wasted away. Because he had kept silent, day and night was heavy. And he felt weak, dry like the summer. His physical harm was connected to the things that he would not talk about with God. We come to verse 5 and you see verses 3 and 4, his mess, my mess, you see my, my escape in verse 5. It says this, and it says it very simply. I, I acknowledge my sin to you. I did not cover my iniquity. I said I will confess my transgression to the Lord. And you forgave the iniquity of my sin. It's very simple. It's not complicated. It's the idea of going before God and saying, God, I did it. I did it. I was the one. I acknowledge it. And it's funny about uh, forgiveness, acknowledging, confessing sin. It's not like you're telling God he doesn't some, something he doesn't already know. The only one that's having this great revelation about your sin is you. Is you. And even a greater sense, not knowing that you're just a sinner, but that you need forgiveness. That you need God to be the one to do what you could not do for yourself. I'm always reminded when you come up with this idea of heaviness and confessing and forgiving and hiding from God, I always think about uh, the Garden of Eden after they sinned and says that Adam hid from God. And I always find that to be funny. The worst game of hide-and-go-seek ever. Right? And yet there's this foolishness of the heart of man and this, this feeling of guilt and shame that draws us to those corners, draws us to the darkness, draws us to run because we know it was wrong. We know it, it, it's, it's not something to be proud of. We know our guilt and our sin, and yet we run in the wrong direction and willing uh, to speak with the only one who can do anything about it. His escape, his escape and my escape and your escape, the only escape for this is acknowledging your sin, confessing it, uh, the things that you have done wrong. And the beauty of this, it says, and you forgave the iniquity of my sin. You, you pronounced me forgiven or not guilty. And we get to verse 6, and we see my only God, the only one. Verse 6 says this, Therefore let everyone who is godly offer prayer to you. And, and, and he's reiterating that there was only one place. Offer prayer to you at a time when you may be found. Surely in the rush of waters they shall not reach him. You are a hiding place for me. You preserve me from trouble. You surround me with shouts of deliverance. I will instruct you and teach you in the way you should go. I will counsel you with my eye upon you. Be not like a horse or a mule without understanding, which must be curbed with bit and bridle, or it will not stay near you. He he talks about is only God and there's a sense for me and you in here and there's a, there's a challenge, there's a, a, a pattern. This is the teaching. What should you do? What should you do if you sin? What, what should you do if you find yourself in a similar predicament as David? You sinned and you have an issue between you and God. Well, he says, offer prayer while he may be found. And he says, you're, you're the hiding place. You're the place to go when life gets difficult. Run to God. 
Run to God, not, not run away from God. I find it interesting in verse 9, he uses this. And um, forgive me for saying it so bluntly here, but don't be stupid like a horse. Don't be stupid like a horse. And you say, oh, you know, I know, I know, I know where I live. I know where I live. People love your horses and your dogs. Maybe there's even some cat people, and you talk about how smart your cat is. The only smart thing your cat has done is trained you, okay? Uh, okay? But he, he uses a horse or a mule, and he says uh, they, they don't have any understanding. And what, the only thing they understand is pain. The only thing they understand is restraint. And he, he calls out to you and to me, and he says, don't, don't be like that. Learn. And what is it that we learn? When we sin, we run to God. The one who does not learn needs the bit or the bridle because they won't do or stay where they're supposed to stay unless they're hurt or jerked, restrained. I want to encourage us that we should learn from David this morning. We should learn from God that he is a God who uh, wants wants to forgive us, wants to be in right relationship with us. We come to the conclusion, verse 10. And I I want you to see this. This is a psalm thing again. First couple of verses. Hey, this is where we're going. This is the theme. Details, details, details. Let me give you the conclusion. Let me give you the bottom line, you know. And this is, these last couple of verses are are so... um, fitting and appropriate. If you haven't paid attention, now's your time. Verse 10, many are the sorrows of the wicked. Many are the sorrows of the wicked. What's the big lie of sin? What's the big lie? It's going to be great. It's going to be great. I saw that woman, Bathsheba. She was young and beautiful. And, and, The happy life is found in her. The happy life is found in her. And and so I'll call to her and I will will get what I want. And oh no, I made a mess of things. Well, well, the happy life is not being caught. And so I'll cover it up. I'll I'll have these plans. And, you know, I have this first plan. Oh, that didn't work. Let's do the second plan. The second plan is much more aggressive, but let's do it. It's okay. And that will be the path to the happy life of me getting what I want. And David tells us that's not the path to the happy life of me getting what I want. The path to the happy life is me being forgiven by God, walking in dependence of him. I want want you to remember, I think in our culture, sin is so rampant and uh, media-driven and in our face and and glamorized, that, that we can e- easily be tempted and say, oh, I, I don't do those things, but it sure looks good. It sure looks good. Wouldn't it be great if? Wouldn't it be great? I, I don't do that. I don't do that. But wouldn't it be great if? I'll, I'll live the lame life over here as a Christian, not getting anything. But there are those who are living life out there. I want to tell you, You need to counsel yourself. You need to remind yourself of the truth of God's word. You need to remind yourself of the testimony of King David. What does he say? Many, many are the sorrows of the wicked. Many are the sorrows of the wicked. You choose to sin and conceal your sin, your life's going to be terrible. It's going to be terrible. Be terrible in your relationships, but it's also going to be just terrible when you're alone, right? By yourself. Even eating what you want, a house that you want, driving a car that you want, right? Many are the sorrows of the wicked. It's a bad deal to be wrong with God. But on the other hand, this is the happy life. But steadfast love surrounds the one who trusts in the Lord. I've said this before, but when you see steadfast love, um, it, 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 I don't want to say it's exactly the word in the New Testament of agape of love because it's not, but, it, but it's God's kind of love. It's a one-sided love. 
It's a love that he pours out. It's his promise to you. It's based upon him. He promises that he would love you. And you get that. You get that. Well, how do you get that? But uh, it says this, but steadfast love surrounds the one who trusts in the Lord. It's good for you to be right with God. It's good for me to be right with God. I find it interesting that this psalm ends in verse 11. Be glad in the Lord and rejoice, O righteous, and shout for joy, all you upright in heart. I, I think that that would, I, I'm not going to do, please come to me if you have problems. Please come to me. I, I'd love to point you to the Lord. I, lo, I love to counsel as God gives me time and energy and Brandon as well and Zach and uh, Caleb and the elders. We love to share with you. We love to share with you God's path for you. But if you come heavy hearted and you're depressed, if you come heavy hearted and you say, you know, how do I get out of this? I I, want to just say this. Verse 11, what does it say? Be glad in the Lord and rejoice, O righteous, and shout for joy, all you upright at heart. I, I know that when you're depressed, when you're struggling, and you read a verse like this, you say, I want to, but how? How do I do that? How do I get that life? It's the only thing that maybe even creates a fire in you is the frustration of your depression. But I want to tell you this. I want to tell you this. Joy comes. Joy comes from being right with God. I, I, I know that, that or you may connect. I'll, I'll get to this in a moment. But some of you are saying, well, are you saying I'm not a Christian? I don't know. Are you saying that there's some hidden sin in my life? I don't know. But I know this, that as we focus on the riches that God has given us, the forgiveness that he's gave to us at cost, at cost to himself, I want to tell you that the outcome of that, really understanding that, is joy that we're right with God. Three things I want to walk you through as we conclude our time. The first one is this. You might look at a message like this and you say, well, what am I supposed to do? You know, what are the outcomes or what are the marching orders? And I want to tell you that there's one of three. There's one of three. The first one is this. Come to know Jesus. Trust in Jesus. You may be here today and you misunderstood the gospel message. You said, you thought that, uh, coming to Bear Valley Church is you, you being good. You being good. Because you've been bad, you're going to be good. Well, the first part was right. You were bad. You were sinful. But the way to correct sin, David doesn't say, let, let, let me get clear with you. David doesn't say, let me explain to you the way of the happy life. It's you do a bunch of bad stuff. And that you do a bunch of good stuff that will offset the bad stuff that you've done. That's not what he said. And I want to tell you that the gospel of Jesus Christ is this. I'm a sinner. I need to be forgiven, saved of my sins. And Jesus is the only way for that to happen. You need to trust in Jesus. And, and maybe that, that's something that you've already done. And so maybe for you, and, and it's in the Old Testament, it's a little bit different. King David's relationship with God is a little different because of our relationship now is based on Christ. We know Christ went to the cross. We're in the New Testament. We're part of the church. But, but I want you to know this. David knew God. He knew God. He had a relationship with him. It said of him that he was a man after God's own heart and he sinned grievously. He sinned in a wicked way. He was perverse. He was a murderer, okay? And so as you look at this, I I want you to know this, that you may be a believer and be a mess because you won't go to God with your sins. You won't acknowledge your sins. So I want to encourage you believers here today, struggling in life, 
maybe burdened. Maybe you feel like David as he described his life. I just want to encourage you, confess your sins to him. Do business with God. God, I was wrong, I know it. Forgive me. Forgiveness flows. There's, there's reestablishing of that right relationship, okay? It's not you're saved and then you're not saved and back and forth, but there's, there's religion. I think it's easiest to describe an apparent-child relationship. Uh, can parents and children have a, a difficult, strained relationship because of things that were done? Yes. It doesn't mean that they're no longer a child. And lastly, I would say this. Some of you... Uh, have, have lived under a different gospel for a very long time. And so you're coming to Christ, um, and maybe this is why we're going to go through the book of Galatians, is you get confused. You say this. You say, well, I've trusted in Christ. My sins are forgiven. Um, and I, I, I confessed. I confessed the sins, and you know, I'm right, but I'm not sure if he really forgave me. I'm not sure. And, and so you, you roll around life agitated and scared and, and fearful of people's opinion and God's opinion of you. And so for that third uh, group, maybe with an oversensitive conscience, I want to encourage you to do this. Reread the gospel. Reread it. And, and believe it. And when I say believe it, it's not believing it for the first time. It's believing it again. Okay. It's acknowledging it again. And the idea is, um, I'm not sure I can be trusted in my own feelings. I'm not sure that my thoughts are as clear as they should be. I'm going to listen to God. I'm going to hear from him. When he says I'm forgiven, I'm going to trust him, not me. When he, when he did the work through his son Jesus, when he said he loved me so much that he sent his son that, that if I believe in him that I'd have eternal life, I'm going to trust him. I'm going to trust him. And I want to tell you that there are some things that we should say over and over again to ourselves. And this is one of them. The good news of Jesus Christ is permanent. It's permanent. We can trust him when he said, you're forgiven. God, thank you for this morning. I pray that this message would sink in deep, that it would challenge our hearts, that you would uh, express your forgiveness to us. Um, God, I, I know that um, all that's represented here in this room is sinners that need a forgiveness. And so, God, I'm glad that you're a gracious, forgiving God who will take care of our sins, that you'll take care of us, that you'll bring us close to yourself, that you'll be the place of hiding for us, the place of safety. And God, may we pursue this happy life, the one whose sins are forgiven. We thank you in Jesus' name, amen.